Hello and welcome to episode 4 of My Last Order podcast. I hope you've been keeping well and using that hand sanitizer that your mum bought you loads of. In today's episode we're going to be talking to Tom Haywood from The Blinders. They released their debut record two years ago and are now about to release their second record, Fantasies of a Stay-at-Home Psychopath, in July this year. We'll be talking about what it's like releasing an album during the situation at the minute, how they've been staying creative, which, by the way, they've been doing some amazing stuff recently, and, of course, asking what their perfect place, drink, snack and jukebox song would be. So, without further ado, let's get on with episode four of My Last Order podcast. need to do a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, again, I'm doing this podcast socially distant. I'm not in the room with you. Um, so the audio quality is not fab, but the content will be. So that's all that matters. So today we are joined by Tom Haywood from The Blinders. Thank you for joining me. Before we get into the last order bit of the podcast, we'll just get to know you. So first of all, for people who haven't heard of The Blinders, don't know where they've been, but um, what's like the story of the band? How did you start out and all that? Oh, well, we've been together for some time now. Uh, we've all known each other since we were wee boys. Uh, we went to school together and grew up in a place called Doncaster. Um, yeah, we started the band there and decided to come to Manchester, you know, because it's one of those places that seems to have neon lights everywhere that say try this or something like that um and we yeah we were just captured by it and our imaginations you know ran wild when when we used to go there and, and watch gigs um so we moved over and yeah we've sort of lived here ever since making music and just sort of blown away by the following that we've got here as well and been lucky enough to take that around the country around the world even so like you said you were formed outside of manchester but have now moved here since. What advice would you give to maybe bands who, or musicians who are in a similar position where they're from an area or a town or a city that's not as, it's not got a lot going on like Manchester has? What would you say to them? Would it be move here or... I would say just do it. Um, It was one of the best things that... um, well it was the only thing that I could have done um you know I think you know the lads in the band us in the band we've always been wired up like this and there's a particular route that um you know people like us will follow and it was always going to happen you know it didn't have to be Manchester it didn't have to be you know England this is just something around the world that when you're wired up like that um it's just so important to go with your gut and um just take the plunge and yeah moving to Manchester it's it just allows you more opportunities and, and provides you more chances with bouts of luck. I think a lot of it is all about opportunity and luck and the more chances that you provide yourself, the you know uh, the higher the chance that you'll make something out of it. So, yeah, just do it. Yeah, definitely, especially about like the opportunities thing because even if it's not music that you want to see yourself going into, 
if you want to get into like a culture sort of scene and art or media or whatever that's why yeah. I even I I don't live that far from Manchester but I moved to the city centre because it's just there's so much going on that there'll be something going on every day sadly not at the minute but but usually there'll be something you can go to there'll be a band you've never heard of playing this tiny pub or even like yeah. exhibitions there's loads of stuff going the, on the thing about manchester in particular is that it's quite you know it's like a bite-sized version of metropolis you know it's that you can walk from one side of the center to the other in half an hour um so you don't have that sort of laborious getting around like you do in london um london's great don't get me wrong you know i could definitely see see ourselves moving down there at some point um you know, th this is by no means stuck to just Manchester, but, you know, I can't say that I've not fell in love with the place. You know, this is this is home um, for me, but there's no better feeling than going back to Doncaster as well. Um, and it's because that sort of distance exists that, you know, you that you, you get those that warm feeling when you go back and, you know, your mates take the piss out of you for being a pompous prick and uh, <laughs> you, uh, you buy them a pint. And that's just how it works. Yeah, I suppose it's like when you go, when people go to university and then they come back yeah, at yeah, Christmas absolutely. and it's nice to come back, but then after a few days you're like, oh, I'm going to get the train back now because I've sort of had enough of you. <laughs> yeah. So it's been two years since your first album, Columbia, which it seems like ages away. I remember when that came out and the world was sort of a completely different place like it is now. And you're about to release your second album, Fantasies of a Stay-at-Home Psychopath. Has your recording process or even the way you create music changed between those two years? Yes and no, really. So we set out to start this record. Um, it, it was it was quite a... There was a transitional period between coming out of doing the record and then being on the road. So um, we were still making a lot of the songs that we made for the second record, or those that made it on the second record, in the same way that we'd made them in the first record that is pointing all our amps together um, at each other's faces um, as loud as possible. That's just the way we work in a rehearsal room, for example. But as we've, as the time has passed and, you know, touring schedules have uh, become less and now they're non-existent, um, you know, I'll get on to making music now next, I suppose. But um, yeah, there was definitely a period of us understanding instruments more and, um, you know, really thinking about it's not just how everything's turned up to 11. So I think that's the difference with this record is that, you know, some of the, some of the songs you can really hear with, with, with quietened down a little bit, both, uh, you know, figuratively and literally. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit more of a thought out piece of music and, and record and uh, really proud of it. Never thought that we'd make something like this. So And what is the album about like is it based on I don't know is it a sort of album that takes you on a story or is it just loads of different songs that you've put together I think um I mean this the concept sort of stuff uh is 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 just I think bands often come up with that sort of thing to just give themselves a little bit of direction and a little bit of of purpose of the music so yeah essentially they are just a, a bunch of songs you know and you don't have to look at it any other way that's that's cool um but there is some sort of strong theme going through it of uh you know we, you know we have conversations of isolation and 
which is, you know, it's all coming to bite us in the arse now. It's, it feels like a little bit prophetic at times, but um, yeah, it's, it discusses a lot of isolation and a lot of, um, a lot of stuff that you're not taught to deal with going from, you know, a teenager to young adult. And it's, yeah, it can be quite conversational at times in that sense, but it's by no means, you know, you don't have to stick to a particular story through the record. Um, that's just more for us. Because I suppose sometimes if you go into something knowing that there's a purpose or that there's a story behind it, and oh, then you come out let down, yeah. yeah <laughs> so, yeah, you're right there. And sadly, there has seemed to be like a bit of a pushback on when you could release the album because of the current situation. How has it been for the band like these past few weeks or months now? I've realised it's actually been like two months. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at first it sucked. You know, at first it was it was just yeah we couldn't really see any way around it, and um, think a lot of bands are, are still you know they've still got that sort of mindset on it. But on um, the you know the second part of it, it's it, it's been quite liberating. Uh, we realised that we had a pretty tight schedule anyway. Um, but once all the the record you know plants had stopped pressing, and you know everyone at the label and management are being furloughed it, you know it's times like these that you don't expect will ever happen but uh, on the flip side of it you know it's been quite liberating it's given us a lot of space and a lot of time to really flesh out the record and um, you know work on some of the more creative sides of it and and then going forward on that in between we've just been working on projects on our own so uh, very excited to see how they influence you know the future of the band um, because obviously we've had to work on our own as opposed to working with each other so um yeah it's 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 interesting but um you know i'd like to think that everyone you know people haven't been hit too hard by it but you don't know until we come back out of it what the reality of that is so um yeah it sucks but it's good that you've been like you've been staying creative and you've been active on like social media and I've been seeing that you've been sharing the column episodes but they're a bit like a video diaries as well from yeah. the recording process and I have to say I have been watching them and they're, they're beautiful to watch it's like watching sort of like a Kubrick film it's like something I've never seen before like it's quite liberating to watch how a band creates a record especially like yourself yeah it's um there's definitely, I think a lot of people will sh will share that sort of um, thoughts of liberation. And um, I mean, you know, when, when you're at, at, at this sort of stage, you start to dedicate your whole life to something like this. And, and you know, I, I seem to spend all my time writing now and all my time making music. Um, and often, you know, the best of it comes from, from uh, isolation. You know, you, you're the most honest with yourself. Um, it's very difficult to be, lie to yourself. Um, as the rule of thumb, you know, being on your own is really liberating for creativity and writing. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I can't complain creatively. Did you always plan on releasing these, or were this something that you were going to just keep for yourself? We've had someone to follow us around since day one, basically. Sam Croston, he's called. Um, and he's grown with us in terms of. Um, you know, he's, he, he, he started, his first photography job was doing our first show, one of our first shows. And he came to Manchester with us um, eventually. Um, so we have this great rapport, this great understanding of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of what, we, what, what we're trying to create. It often feels like he's a really good visualizer of, 
um, what we put into words. So uh, that's that's what that is basically. That's just you know years of working on this sort of um, you know likewise sort of same wavelength sort of stuff, um, and it's come to a head in those episodes. You know, with the we had to adapt them. We you know we wanted to release them as a film at the end or something like that, and um, you know we had a, br- a loose idea of what we wanted to do. But when it came to um, the lockdown, it just gave us this opportunity to, like you say, have this sort of isolation diary come um, fictional storyline almost of around this central character of the record or this narrative of the record. And then gave us an opportunity to explain why we do things. And uh, yeah, it's it's just... It's worked really nicely. And do you think that going on from this, if you ever release like another album or another piece of work, is that something you'd go back to, like having these sort of episodes and someone following you around? Yeah, I mean, I'm very much a believer of once something's been done, it's been done. Um, so I think just because of this, the, the, you know, the theme of the record, you know, fantasies of a state on psychopath, it just goes hand in hand with it. And, you know, circumstances have, have come to sort of favour us with the, um, which is probably the first time anyone's said something like that when relating to COVID-19, you know, it's a horrible situation, but um, we've, we've, we've managed to adapt and work off of it. And yeah, so I don't know, maybe, maybe we'd want to do something just as effective uh, the episodes for the next record but very different um in one of the episodes uh you say i've got it written down uh politics <laughs> however dirty a word it seems it's always affected our lives i think what we meant by that was that it's mind-boggling at times mind-boggling to think that people avoid the subject just because of how 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 much impact it has on us you know and, um it shapes everything that we do there's there's no avoiding it it's it's like some lens flare of a camera that just doesn't go away you know you can't not see it so um we always take it upon ourselves to yeah try and have some sort of say in that and or at least try and document the 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 sentiment of what people were feeling at that time and um you know we're young young adults at the end of it all you know we're three 22 23 year olds at the end of it all so uh, this is just it just feels natural to us it's not something that we really think about too much um what what pisses me off is when you know people call you out for it and say you know stick to stick to music stick to you know you're not a politician you're a band i don't think that's very fair i think anyone has got and you know anyone has the right and opportunity to open a conversation about this thing and um when people start to come out and say you shouldn't you shouldn't be talking about that that's when it starts to get dangerous you know yeah sounds Uh, like something from an orwell book it is it really is it's hard to again you know that's hard to ignore at the moment people are catching on to that it's funny how that that novel has shaped a lot of people's uh thought process on this whole thing very scary times but um yeah i mean i don't know you know it's that that that's the way I feel about it. And moving on from that, I think we need to talk about the covers that you've been doing. Yeah, in terms of the covers, um, they just came about. That's the kind of stuff that I play down at the pub, you know. Um, I go and When we go to a place called the Rose and Monkey, that's often where I share a lot of material that I'm working on at the moment. 
on the open mics but it's not ju- it's not like a you know when you say open mic you think of <laughs> i don't know like some dude who's trying to rip off an Elvis cover or something. But um, no, it's actually the amount of inspiration that I've got from those open mics, just because there's so many musicians and especially folk musicians in Manchester that get so unnoticed. There's a, there's, um, a guy called John Coley, who is just fucking fabulous. He's one of the best songwriters and um, he's just, the way that he, he interprets his words into music is really, really, uh, you know, it gives me a lot of motivation and special. So that's where those covers come from. It's just that idea of taking script and taking words and placing your own twist on it, you know, um, inviting your own sort of injection of emotion to come into those. Um, but yeah, at the bottom line of it all, it's just, it's just what I play at the pub, really. You covered Cotton Eyed Joe, and it sounded nothing like the song I used to dance to at school discos. <laughs> yes. And that was sort of like, I don't know, it'd be like a, a music history lesson, because you mentioned that this song that you hear at school discos isn't the original song. It's actually, did you, did you say it's based on something like 19th century or... Yeah, I'm sure I read that somewhere as as I was looking up the lyrics. Um, you know, we, we had this idea of putting polls up on social media and saying, you know, uh, people can vote for what they want to hear and we'll just bulk record them, which is what we've done. And um, I, I thought it'd be funny to just put something in like Cotton Eye Joe and see how many people vote for it. And of course, everyone fucking voted for it. So <laughs> I sort of doubled down, looked it up and yeah, like this wild story about it being a, um, a ballad from the 1860s in, 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 in America. It made complete sense, though, when you read the lyrics um, and you're like, shit, this, how, yeah. Um, so props to Red, so- oh, what are they called now? Is it the Rednecks? I think the group is. Props to them as much as props to me for doing their own version of it because they, at the end of the day, they turned the fucking ballad into uh, a school disco classic. So... Because uh, when they, yeah. when you put the poll up and I saw that and I thought, gosh, this is going to sound really weird. The blind is <laughs> covering some sort of Nazi's kids disco song. If you would have listened to that not knowing it was a cover or anything, you would have thought it may be like some sort of country song from the sixties or Johnny I Cash. Think, like I said, it goes back to when I when I get up on stage at this pub and just when I see so many people doing it to. You know, this is not a new thing, you know. I mean, you you listen to a lot of Dylan's stuff and the way that he just interprets and and um, turns stuff into his own thing. Uh, I thought it was madness when people were doing it. It's like you're, you're, you're spending, you know, your creative energy turning someone else's song into this when you could be putting that own energy into your own songs. But it's generally a, a good exercise for crafting songs and songwriting. Um, it, it's something that I've done for a while now, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that everyone's just enjoying them, really. And do you plan on releasing them officially? Like, I know some musicians, they're quite fortunate that they've they've got maybe money to spend on releasing and things that they've done in lockdown officially on, like, vinyl and things like that. Is that yeah. something that you think you would might do or are you just happy to just have them up on social media? I don't know, yeah. I mean, they exist now, you know. There's two things about it, really. Maybe I'm thinking about it too much, but um, you know, when you hear a song and then you hear it in a different version, uh, it just—it's not right, you know. So I, I think if we were to go and 
re-record those, you know, in the state, same style, but completely different. I just don't think it would, it would be something to do but and then also i don't know I, i'm a bit funny with like releasing music that's not mine you know it's i don't really want to put my own name to other people's music and um yeah i think that's a little bit unfair but uh yeah I, so probably not is the answer but we're gonna put them into like a long extended video i think you know like so you can see the whole half an hour 40 minutes whatever of songs and that'll just go up on youtube and i'll exist forever so so if anyone does want a, a version of it, they'll just have to get their own dodgy pressing of it somewhere. That's the one, yeah. Get a bootleg of it and uh, <laughs> start shifting it around. <laughs> and then in about 50 years, it'll be in like an Oxfam and someone will pick it up and they'll think, <laughs> oh my gosh, I've never heard this song before. Yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs> How are you finding being part of the music industry as a whole at the moment? Because... Obviously, it's coming towards what would have been festival season, and sadly, that that isn't existing. I know um, some festivals are looking at doing things online, or they're looking at other ways to bring the festival to the people. How are you finding that at the moment? Um, it's difficult. It's it's difficult because there's no end in sight. Really, there's no day that we're working towards. Um, so it can be quite hard to, uh, you know, keep the enthusiasm of going on. You know, I'm sure a lot of bands right now are seeing that they've got no income. That you know, at the end of the day, they've got no income for seven months, and that's that's heavy. You know, if you was to say that to someone else, if you you know you was to say that to a, a business owner and saying, you know, everything will be all right in seven months, you've got to take no income for seven months, they'd turn around and laugh in your face. So I think this this is just just like any other industry um and yeah it, it's it, it, it's hard to see an outcome to this a conclusion to it what i would what i wouldn't say is that there needs to be a clamor to get back and do these shows but there definitely needs to be some sort of alternative uh wouldn't you agree you know it, um it, it's so i'm not sure really but i think that's a lot of people are thinking that in the industry at the moment and um, it, this is going a lot slower than we thought it would. Um, and yeah, so it, it's it's a difficult time and I don't think a lot of bands will, will last. Uh, I think a lot of bands will, will you know, succumb to the pressure of not having any income. Um, I saw that Slow Readers Club uh, recently, you know, opened a Patreon, which is probably something that we'll see now with a lot of bands that that's, you know, a viable way of making a monthly income. The bands get, the, the reality is that bands like our size, we rely on an extensive touring schedule to um, make money. That's just the reality of it, you know, and money makes the world go round. There's, there's, there's just no other way about it. Um, you can bury your head as much as you want. But yeah, so I don't know. I think you'll see a lot more bands on Patreon and stuff. And that just depends what kind of, what people, people want to do to you know are people willing to support bands or is it live music that people want you know i for one think that there's no better feeling than getting that sort of fire in your belly watching a show you just can't you can't recreate it can you um so i know for me going to a gig it's like a full day and night thing for me. It doesn't matter how old you are i imagine you still get excited for going to a gig and sadly even if well, from my point of view, even if you, you're watching a gig at home, there's just 
there's not that feeling of being in the same room as someone who you yeah, idolise. Definitely. And, and and that that's, I think, I think you're absolutely spot on with it, you know. Um, so I don't know, really. I, I don't know what the future is for it. But, you know, we're just doing what everyone else is doing. We're following guidelines. We're being told what to do um, because that's all we can do. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that no one's, um, you know, irresponsible enough to break those guidelines you know I don't think there'll be any any gigs for the year to be honest um and if they are they'll be uh in a very different way you know we've been thinking about doing sort of invite sort of thing in a studio where you you sit around and you perform you know um just because if we were to do a live stream of a show it's so uh it's it's you've there's there's so much that goes into reacting off the audience. It's surprising how little there is to a live show without an audience, um, especially for you know in a band like us. You just rely on that bouncing off of one another, and you can you know you, you know what I'm talking about. You can start to feel something in the air that there's a connection and and um, an excitement, and you just don't get that with 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 uh, you know the live stream stuff. So I think I think. A, a lot of it's adapting and changing and that's just the new present day, isn't it? How could um, people who want to support you at the moment, what's best for them to do? Is it buying merchandise or like pre-ordering your album? Is that what they'll be able to do for you? Yeah, I mean, just when that record comes out, just stream it 24 hours a fucking day, you know. <laughs> um, no, to, to, you know, to support is... Um, I don't know. That's difficult. You know, we, we just just don't forget us. Basically, you know, this period of time is is going to be different for everyone. But there's artists that still exist and are still creating. And um, you know, at the end of the day, we do it to relate to and to connect with people. And we still want to maintain that connection. So just keep your ear to the ground and and, and constantly follow what we're doing. And hopefully this will all blow over and when that first show comes back you know it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna be pretty interesting yeah so uh we'll talk about what you've come here to do which is pick, <laughs> yeah. i know it's like half an hour later so my last order podcast um you've got to pick your favorite place now it yeah. can be somewhere you've never been before it can be your front room which you love all the time it could be a pub that you go to every day when you normally can but it can't be the rose and monkey because someone has already picked that um and then you have to pick your favorite drink favorite snack and your favorite jukebox song and we'll put it all together to make your perfect last order and hopefully something that you can do one day once everything's back open so what would be your favorite place to go to well i was inspired by your um your, your note about it could be somewhere that's not in the physical world so uh, I'm going to go with Whizzleberry Forest um, that's somewhere in Wales uh, where everything's generally in its right place and involves a big handful of uh, psilocybin mushrooms so <laughs> um, that's uh, yeah that, that's probably going to be my place if that's all right that sounds <laughs> like a very mythical place to be and it's definitely the most exciting place that someone said so far and then what would be the drink that you'd have there it could be you can bring a drink from another pub or another place or just make one up I don't know um because 
Yeah, I mean, black coffee um, and cigarettes tend to go a pretty long way, so um, I'd, I'd probably take those. That's uh, I owe a big pat on the back to um, coffee for like every sort of musical creation that we've done. You know, uh, we drink absolute gallons of it, so uh, it'd be a shame not to include it and give it a shout out. So, uh, black coffee. And would you have a specific brand, or would it just be? Any old black coffee. Uh, it's funny you should say that. In uh, when when we made the first record, Columbia, um, we had this uh, rocket fuel. It was called that. Gavin, our producer on the first record, had Gavin Monaghan, and he used to have this rocket fuel coffee. <laughs> and honestly, you've never had anything like it. It just blows your top off, um, and it, it causes a lot of exciting uh, accidents whilst recording that you often capture and make the best part of the song. So, yeah, rocket fuel, black coffee. Wow. That does sound, sounds illegal, really. Rocket fuel, <laughs> black sound, coffee. It does sound pretty fucking illegal, doesn't it? Because uh, I remember when I interviewed yourselves a few years ago and mm. you were saying, if you ever wanted a pint of Guinness, the castle does the best Guinness you've ever tasted. Yeah, that's pretty much. I, I I think we can still go on that. Um, the castle is is the best part of Guinness, um, but I haven't drank a part of Guinness now for a, a while. It it makes me wake up with like the worst, like bleary vision and um, just feel so tired all the time after it. So I drink now something uh, that my dad showed me. Uh, if you get uh, old J spice rum, it has to be old J spice rum, the vanilla and whatever one. Um, and then squeeze a lime in that ginger beer uh, it's got to be out of a can and then something called Angostura bitters it's just a classic gin, uh, uh, spice rum and ginger beer throw those in there and it is incredible it's just the best drink you'll ever try so uh, a little nod to that one as well well I'll give that a try because I know when you mentioned having a pint of Guinness in the castle I did go and I'm not, I don't really like Guinness itself. I like Stout, but there's something about Guinness. And I think it's because I've been on the Guinness factory tour that many times that oh, yeah. the smell just goes through me now. <laughs> oh, when, when I went to Dublin with my brother, um, we, were, we stopped in, a, in like the hotel right over the road from St. James's Gate where they brew the, the Guinness. And yeah, we could just smell it at all times and, that was something that we were quite drawn to, actually. You know, it didn't, it didn't, uh, um, didn't invoke any sort of feelings of uh, repulsion. We actually really enjoyed it. So, <laughs> I think it's because I went round and the night before, and don't know if you're the same or maybe other people are, but when they go to Dublin for like, I don't know, the first time being legally allowed to drink, and you just think, oh, all right, I'm going to have ten pints of Guinness. I'll have a Bailey's yeah. after. It comes to the morning after, and you you're going on like your sightseeing tour. Your pretty weak, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, "What did I drink last night? Oh God, Guinness! And what am I here for? A Guinness tour." There's also uh, I remember when when we was in Dublin and um, we'd sat down in the Temple Bar. It was a Sunday, um, and we we just arrived. You know, we'd arrived at like seven a.m. that day, so we started drinking for about twelve. And uh, yeah, we went in, and this this Irish band, not Irish band, you know, traditional Irish folk band, starts um, starts up, have a little jam, and then they get these pints of Guinness placed on the the stage, and they just gulped it in, you know, half pints, 
just gulped it down and um, <laughs> and said over the mic, uh, well, uh, it's Sunday. So <laughs> and they just struck up and played till for about fucking six hours, you know, drinking all the way, hung over out their asses. Uh, it's just commendable to see a Dubliner uh, down a pint. Oh, it is such a lovely place. I, I love going to Dublin. I don't know if it's because, like, I've got an Irish name and when I go and I say my name and they actually pronounce it right. Yeah, my nana's uh, side was all Irish. Um, so we there's an interesting story that we've got from um, my nana's grandfather, I believe, or my nana's great-grandfather. I can't remember which one. Um, but he was, he came over to Wigan, um, after, you know, during the Troubles in 1918 and, uh, you know, the proper, the, the, the proper revolution stuff. Uh, he used to lecture at Trinity College in Dublin and, uh, he, he went back and he disappeared that we just can't find any trace of any death certificate, any, um, any, any sort of, you know, what happened to him. So I thought... That was always really interesting, you know, when she told me about that and, that, you know, possibly have a relative that was killed in the Troubles that was never, never seen again. I just thought that was, um, yeah, it just hit me with so much emotion. So when going over there and going to Trinity College, um, yeah, I just found it really, really uh, sobering. Yeah, because um, my my dad's family is from Wigan, like Lee, which is just outside oh, really? of Wigan, yeah. So yeah, I, I could do his family tree I remember doing it like last year and I did his and I could go as far back as like 1700s and no matter how far back I went they still stayed in Wigan oh, uh, they right. had all had the same <laughs> jobs all like coal miners but then I did my my nana is Irish so I did sort of her side and my mum's side and I could only go as far back as to my great grandma because they actually burnt the records. Yeah, that, that, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably a similar thing that what's happened to my nana's side. Yeah, I'd I'd love to go on one of those telly shows and you know where they discover your your heritage and stuff. Um, that'd be really. I'd love to know what happened to him. Uh, Charles Duggan, I think he was called. I know I might be wrong with Charles, but he was definitely Duggan. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, so never mind the uh, family tree stuff. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're in your mystical forest. Whistleberry forest. Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it because right. I'll let you just, do that. Yeah. <laughs> in your magical cut in, forest. Cut in whistleberry forest, just cut that in every time. Yeah, just a and pause forest. Um, <laughs> and you've got rocket fuel black coffee, but... Because we're feeling generous and we let you have your spiced rum and ginger beer. That's what I like to hear. So what snack would you go for? Yeah, I don't really snack. Um, I make I make huge meals. I've got I've got a habit of... Um, I spend a lot of time cooking. I love to cook. I just, um, I've always loved to cook. I just think it's like an extension of, of creativity, you know, and the way that flavours work and the way that you can... Um, just as you alter music by ear, you know, and you can also alter flavour with just tasting. And as basic as that sounds, it's just when you actually do something and adapt recipes, it's a really, really great little rabbit hole that you get down into. I reckon if I wasn't if I wasn't a musician, I'd, I'd have something. I'd, I'd do something in the in the culinary uh, um, universe, or, or maybe be a cleric or. Be, covered head to toe in tattoos or something like that something where you can just completely dedicate your life to 
Um, but yeah, uh, so I, yeah, I'd, I'd have to have like maybe leftovers of a big meal that I'd had the previous night. I did tacos last night, so what, can I have a taco or something like that? I'll have a taco, please. I mean, I've always, I've always struggled to find nice Mexican places. You know, if I do Mexican food, I'll always do my own. When, when we were in South by in Texas, uh, we, we, we was in Austin. And that was just the nicest Mexican food I'd ever have. You know, Texas got a large Mexican population. So the, you know, culture and a lot of the cuisine has gone into Texan food. Um, and yeah, we, oh God, what was the place? It was the Iron Something. And I remember uh, it was the night of like the street parade for South by Southwest. And we were sat on this balcony eating fajitas that was, you know, on sizzle plates <clears throat> just in front of us you know, heavily drinking margaritas. And this guy is in the parade uh, with a snake around his neck. Charlie, the bassist, is he's terrified of snakes, like absolutely hates them with all his <laughs> gut. And so he just basically spits out his food. We're looking around thinking, what the fuck is going on? And some dude is there, yeah, with a snake around his neck, just um, making Charlie nearly throw up. Uh, but yeah, that was the best Mexican food I've ever had. So you've been spending a lot of time cooking. I've actually been spending a lot of time watching Gordon Ramsay's um, Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah, amazing show. So good. Always uh, when in doubt and it's like two in the morning and you, you know, you're still pretty, um, your mind's pretty juiced from doing all writing and stuff or whatever. Stick on an episode of that. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's like, you know what's going to happen. You know, he's going to go to this restaurant they're gonna say that the food's really nice he's gonna order it not like it and then they'll completely turn it round. and then there's always some grease ball who's delusional and like uh ah oh, this is the best fucking food you've ever fucking tasted it's fucking raw all that shit <laughs> my favorite thing now is like looking up to see if these restaurants still exist oh do you do that do you oh, i'm curious uh, how many uh, how, what's the sort of rule of thumb is, is the many Existing? No. Like, every really? time I've looked oh, for one, they've been, like, Gordon. shut down. Or they've had reviews saying, you oh, know, I came here because it was on Gordon Ramsay's programme and the food hasn't improved at all. So <laughs> maybe that's just Gordon Ramsay undercover. He just writes the reviews. <laughs> yeah, love to try. Uh, there's a Michelin star place around the corner from me. Oh, God, what is it called? Now, the name escapes me, but it's got the first Michelin star in, in Manchester. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to try it. I'd, I'd love to have any sort of, uh, you know, seven-course meal uh, experience. De definitely. My brother won some tickets to, like, this hotel in Manchester, which provided, you know, it was like a five-star hotel. They were staying in the fucking penthouse or whatever. And, um, gave him this seven-course meal. He said it was just the best experience of his life, you know. Um, I would love to try one of those. Definitely a big foodie. Yeah, because I, I didn't used to be like that. I used to be like, oh, I don't get all these tiny plates. I'll just have a tub oh, of yeah, yeah, instead. Same, yeah. and like you say, when you get older and you just want to try new shit, and I think people um, realise that you know, life and experience of life is all about getting really high doses of something you know really concentrated forms of something so you know you get people who are like um adrenaline junkies you know and, and start doing that or you get people who travel over the world and i think um like food and flavor is definitely one of those things you know you can have an obsession to finding something that's just an explosion in your mouth just like you know as a music lover and as a muso you always want to find stuff to just 
completely change your perception on what that is. Um, so yeah, I think food is great. I'd, I'd love to, yeah, if this all goes tits up, uh, I'll work in the culinary industry, but uh, then again, that's all going tits up, isn't it? Because you got no one can go in restaurants. So. I mean, I've got a friend who started a uh, food business just before this all kicked off. It was called This Charming Naan, and he did basically uh, like curries uh, with uh, Smith's titles to it. So I think he had a girlfriend in a coma, and uh, Sheila take a bargy and stuff like that. Um, and you know that was, and he was, he was, it, it was going great you know he got a place in hatch in manchester which is um you know the new place under the under the bridge um near near the universities he got a place up in there but you know because all this happened the reality is that working in working as a small business like that you know in, in the food industry the reality now for him might be cooking in his kitchen and delivering out you know which sucks because you get into something like that to connect with people and react with people and you want people coming up to you and seeing your amazing signs and saying that your food's great but um yeah that that's for me you know what we're going to miss out on with with this sort of lifestyle is connection you know we're already missing a lot of connection through phones and laptops and internet and it seems like it's just a road in a way not to circumstances that we can control but i'm very worried about the future you know um, but who knows who knows i'm a pessimist so don't listen so the final question for creating your perfect last order be your favorite jukebox song uh or if you're not if your jukebox isn't in the forest your magical forest and um, then oh, don't worry don't worry i can i can definitely uh uh um, <laughs> i can definitely conjure up some sort of jukebox in the forest Although if you listen to some of the stuff Marquis Smith says, um, you know, bless his soul, uh, he, he always was of the line that a pub shouldn't have a jukebox. You know, it should be peace and quiet and conversation. And don't know how much that would stand nowadays because, uh, yeah, first thing you do is go and put a song on to the jukebox. Speaking of which, what song would I put on the jukebox? Um, I haven't really thought about this one too much because it sort of changes every time. There is a song that is has become sort of the theme tune to uh, the Rose and Monkey Hotel. Uh, you know, when this song gets put on, you, you know that you're going to have a good night and uh, shit's going to get weird. Uh, <laughs> so this would probably be the band, Don't Do It. Uh, it's it's just a jam. It's great. And it kicks in. Um, and these, I mean, the band, uh, Wild, you know, they were, they were Bob Dylan's backing band for the 66 tour, which is infamous for one of the most chaotic tours, you know, that's ever, ever existed. You know, Bob was, Bob Dylan was just high off of amphetamines and heroin and acid the whole time. Um, and this band who stuck behind him then went on to do their own thing. They were called the band because that's how Bob Dylan used first one. It was the band. Um, and their discography is just mind-blowing. Levon Helm is this drummer who's just got this groove. Um, yeah, it, it does stuff to your, to your belly. Uh, so yeah, don't do it by the band. It's just a great song. And like you said, like, you didn't really like you didn't think into it a lot. I think that's like a few people have said that because they said, "Oh well, we sort of prepared an answer for the other ones." But when it comes to music, it all depends on how you're feeling. Like I could yeah. say, like I know, like I say, oh, my all-time favorite song is "Love Will Tear Us Apart" by Joy Division, and I tell yeah. people that, and you and they're like. 
Also, you obviously don't really like them then if you pick that song because everyone knows it. Oh, that's that's unfair. No, I don't, I don't do gatekeeping. I don't do that shit. I think that's, yeah, that's not. Um, yeah, Love Will Tear Us Apart is one of the greatest songs, you know, pop songs written in the last fucking 40 years. It's just, it still stands up every time you hear it now. It still puts those hairs on your on your on your arms, and um, the lyrics is just—it's a peak for Ian Curtis, you know, um, fucking brilliant. But yeah, it's definitely a feeling thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know? that's like the beauty of music. It all depends on it your is. emotion. It is. It's 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 reactive. It's um, you know, it's completely. I think the your emotion determines the way that you perceive the music. Uh, I can't listen to uplifting music if I'm feeling down. I have to listen to, um, listen to to sort of down music and stuff that confirms that um, that sort of uh, mental state. I think that's that's why music is just such a beautiful tool because you can relate to these people who have been through that, and um, you know it, it makes you feel not alone. Um, that's just the beauty of music, isn't it? Yeah. And I know what you mean, like, when you're down. I usually put on um, I Know It's Over by The Smiths. Oh, man, I've just uh, I, I borrowed some uh, records from my stepdad. Um, my mum came over this weekend, you know, after the lockdown rules were um, sort of relaxed. So she came up to Manchester and we sat in the park and had a picnic and stuff. But, um, yeah, she brought over a load of uh, uh, care package records because I was running out of records and... Didn't know what to listen to on Spotify. Love to listen to vinyl. Um, got both, you know, all the Smith records. I've got the full collection now, and you just appreciate some of the some of the tunes on there. And I know it's over is a perfect example. Such a somber song, and uh, one that you know you wouldn't go on. Like you say, you wouldn't put it on the jukebox when you first get in the pub. But when you're, when you're alone, and you you know maybe you've got a set of headphones on, it's just you and you and the voice. It's uh, yeah. What what a great choice! I know it's over. Yeah, you sort of feel like Morris has created it for you to just lie on the floor and cry to. And that's all right. That is absolutely all right. You know, because that's probably what it was created for. Um, you know, that, I often think that uh, you know very few artists will go out of the way to create something ingenuous, ingenuine. Sorry. Um, you know, they, they, they've almost always actually been through that, and. Yeah, it's just like their way of holding out a hand and saying, you know, this is this this can happen sometimes, and like, yeah, give out a little cry. I think that that's a lot of importance of physical vinyl as well, um, because you you almost always get a lyric book with it, um, and with vinyl, there's no distraction. You know, with Spotify, I'm guilty for always having music on in the background and tuning in and out. Um, you know, that's how I get through so many albums a day. You know, I can find myself listening to about eight albums a day. But in reality, when you sit down and put a record on, get out the booklet, look at all the art around it, and you know, you you actively playing a part in the song as it's going. You know, you, you find yourself just lost in these worlds that are just, to me, a bliss. You know, um, often like the, the the best sort of stuff comes from various stimulation. You know, when you're writing and stuff, but. Like I said before, more often than not, when you're alone, there's just that honesty that you've got with yourself. And um, I think that relates a lot to listening to music, you know, why people think it's such a spiritual uh, experience to to really have a connection. You know, and you can have connections with people who aren't alive. I listen to John Lennon and just think he's some sort of um, prophet. 
uh, and and but that that person doesn't exist in more uh, anymore. Sorry. Um, really interesting with also like the Terry Pratchett fan base. Obviously, he died um, a few years ago, which is really sad. But there, that sort of uh, there's this sort of thing. I can't remember. It might relate to some of his work, but it's basically if you keep saying his name, you know that person always survives and always lives. But yeah, art, all art is just um, a, a, it's a way of us compartmentalizing these sort of spiritual connections. Oh, that was lovely. Um, yeah. So <laughs> back to the the Last Order. It's completed now. So. You sat in your favourite place, which is... Whistleberry Forest. Mythical place full of magical things and a jukebox. How lucky. And you're drinking rocket fuel black coffee, also some spiced rum with ginger beer. You're yeah. having a taco, what sort of flavour filling of taco would you have? Oh, uh, just straight up, you know, beef mints. Um, I used to be vegetarian, but I'm not so good at keeping up in it anymore, yeah. Uh, beef mint, you know, lots of spices and, um, yeah, just a really nice, savoury bit of taco filling. Don't forget all your sour cream and your lettuce and onions and tomatoes and a bit of lime on there. Avocado if you're rich enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got Don't Do It by the band. Would you be playing it really loud or...? Oh, yeah, you've got to play it loud. You've, you Just when that, I don't know what it is, it's like an electric piano or something, when it kicks in. Oh, it's just shivers. And then just give the time, the song some patience. When it comes down to like this drop where it's just the drums and then Levon Helm comes in saying, my biggest mistake was loving you too much. It's fucking mind-blowing. Listen to it right after this. I am. I am going to. Uh, and if you hear it through the streets of Ancourt, then you know he's playing it. <laughs> so that's it. That's your perfect last order done. Hi, I'm Tom from The Blinders. You've been listening to My Last Order podcast. Uh, you can listen to our album, uh, Fantasies of a Stay-at-Home Psychopath, which is out July 17th. Stay safe. Thank you very much. And there we have it. Episode four of My Last Order podcast. You can pre-order The Blinders' second album, Fantasies of a Stay-at-Home Psychopath, now via their website. And make sure to stream it when the album comes out. And do check out that cover of Cotton Eye Jaw because, believe me, it is amazing. Don't forget, we do really appreciate it when you share this and tell your friends, tell your family, tell whoever. And we do appreciate your feedback, so send that in, whether you love it or hate it. You can check out more about this podcast, including the places that Tom picked on our website, www.mylastorderpodcast.wordpress.com. Managed to say it all right this time, must be getting used to it. And I look forward to joining you again next week for episode five of My Last Order podcast. (laughs) 